Turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 23. Page 1,118 if you are using that Bible under the seat in front of you. Lord, I pray you do miracles today in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that we would search our own hearts in light of what your word teaches. We'd give honest, genuine assessments of our hearts. Help us to see your truth and see if your truth lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are coming to the end of our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is closing the sermon. And as he does so, being the awesome preacher that he is, he demands his listeners to make decisions. He's just preached, now he demands them to make choices. And so he says there's a narrow gate that leads to a narrow path that leads to life, but then there's a wide gate that leads to a wide path that leads to destruction. And he says, choose, make your decision. In verses 24 through 27, which we'll cover next week together, he says you can build your life on a rock Or you can build your life on sand. Choose how you're going to build your life. Make choices. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus asks his listeners a very serious question, which is essentially this. Are you a genuine believer or are you a phony one? Or another way to put it, Do you think yourself to be a genuine believer when in fact you're not? Do you think that you're a member of the kingdom of Christ when in fact you're not? You're self-deceived. Let's prayerfully, carefully read this passage. Look at verse 21. From the words of Jesus, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's two claims being made in this passage. The first claim is a good claim. It's an awesome claim. It's saying Jesus is Lord. He says, some will say to me, Lord, Lord. That's a good claim. That's an awesome claim. It's an accurate claim. It's a polite claim. 
The Greek word for Lord, curious, can be seen as a term of respect, like saying Mr. or Sir. It's very polite to call Jesus Lord. But beyond that, it's orthodox. It's saying, Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the supreme Lord, the sovereign of the universe. You are God. It's orthodox to say Jesus is Lord. And then it's very passionate, fervent, enthusiastic. The person making this claim doesn't just say Lord once, but Lord how many times? Twice. Not just Lord, but Lord, Lord. Very passionate. So you have a polite, respectful, orthodox, enthusiastic claim. Jesus is Lord. Nothing wrong with that claim. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 that any person who genuinely becomes a member of the kingdom of God must make that claim. Romans 10 says... If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then the second claim is the claim that a person might make on judgment day standing before Jesus. Lord, Lord, did I do not, did I not do ministry in your name? Did I not do amazing things in your name? Lord, I cast out demons in your name. Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name. Those are spectacular claims to be able to cast out demons, do miracles, prophesy. And again, those are genuine Legitimate claims that believers can make. All genuine believers can be used by the Lord in mighty ways. In fact, all genuine ministry by genuine believers should be done in the name of the Lord. Can't be done any other way. So we have these two wonderful big claims. Jesus is Lord. I've done amazing things in your name. But here's the deal. Here's the rub. Here's the issue, according to Jesus. There are those who make those claims who are, in fact, genuine believers. Then there are others who make those claims who are not believers. They think they're believers, but they're not. And how do you know the difference? People making the same claims... Who's real? Who's not? Well, let's try to be as objective as we possibly can in this passage. I want you to notice some clear characteristics of people who think they're believers, but they're not. They're phony. I want you to notice that these folks are talkers. Talk, 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 talk. Always talking. Jesus is emphasizing that in verse 21. 
Let not everyone who says to me, the people that say Jesus is Lord. Verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day, didn't I do these awesome things in your name? Say, 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 talk, 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 perhaps even exaggerated talk. Look what I did. But their talk is not backed with a walk. Their lifestyle doesn't match their words. Is it possible for someone to say Jesus is Lord and then live life as if Jesus isn't Lord? Of course. Someone says Jesus is Lord and yet they live life their own way on their own terms as if they're Lord. If you say Jesus is Lord, then you should, live in, you should live in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Say, say, say. Doesn't prove it. Somebody said, all true Christians say, Lord, Lord. But not all who say, Lord, Lord, are true Christians. And what's the difference? Where's the proof in the pudding? Well, do you live as if Jesus really is Lord? Talk, talk, talk. But nothing to back it up. That's a characteristic of a phony Christian. All right, look at this last this. Last thing that Jesus says in verse 23, this characteristic, he says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's a self-deceived person who thinks they're a believer. They practice lawlessness. Their consistent lifestyle is one of moral lawlessness. They don't care about sin. Doesn't bother them. They don't have any conscience when it comes to sinning. They say, Jesus is Lord, and yet they run into sin. And their life is characterized by moral lawlessness. That person is not saved. That is not a genuine believer. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practicing lawlessness. That's the consistent lifestyle of a person who runs around and says, Jesus is Lord, but they live worldly. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The NIV translation says, the Lord knows those who are his, 
And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must, must turn away from wickedness. There has to be a change. Your life can't be characterized by it. And I tell you, it's very concerning that there can be such an attitude of laxity when it comes to moral living. Many folks in the church in America look identical to people in the world. There's no difference. That can't be so. Many just live worldly lives and say a few hallelujahs or Jesus is Lord statements in church every now and then. But does the life match what you're saying? Now you might say, Man, those are some pretty intense claims, though, to be able to make on Judgment Day. Jesus calls these people those who practice lawlessness. Yet, are there some that are still able to say, even in that condition, I cast out demons in your name? I did miracles. I I was in ministry. Well, again, these are claims. That's what they say. Did it actually happen? Let me give you a scenario. Many local churches do outreaches. In fact, we do an outreach every Christmas time. Has a hundred plus volunteers come. We feed the poor people that God brings. We bless them with the Christmas. We do awesome things. It's a group deal. And God moves. God does amazing things. God saves people. Now, does that mean that every volunteer, every participant in that outreach is genuinely saved? And might someone like that leave an event like that thinking, hey, God did something through me, when actually they were just associated to what God did through the group? And then on Judgment Day, didn't I do a great outreach in your name? Or think of a group that goes on a mission trip, 50, 60 people. They build houses for people. They preach the gospel. Demons are cast out. Miracles are done. God does an amazing thing through that group. Does that guarantee every individual in that group is saved? And might a person who is not truly saved as a part of that group think that maybe God did that through them when they were just associated with it. Very possible. A lot of people think that God has used them when maybe God hasn't. Besides that, God can do miraculous things through anyone. Just because there's a miracle or you get a taste of the miraculous doesn't mean you're saved. You know, every time I read this uh, passage, I think of Judas Iscariot. Here's a guy who walked with Jesus, one of the disciples. We're even told that he went on a short-term mission trip, two by two, and they were given power to cast out demons and do miracles. Is Judas saved? No, the Bible says it would have been better had he never been born for him. King Saul in the Old Testament was a corrupt man. He was given the power to prophesy at one point. Caiaphas, the corrupt high priest of Israel in the days of Jesus Christ, was used to prophesy by the Lord without even knowing it. 
Balaam, the false prophet of the Old Testament. The Lord directed him what to say. God has spoke through a donkey. I always like to remind myself of that. God spoke through a donkey. So on Judgment Day, you say, hey, God spoke through me. Really? And that proves you're saved. Beyond that, remember that Satan and his agents can also do signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Revelation 13 says he will perform great signs. Matthew 24, Jesus says, False Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive everyone, if possible, even the elect. So to think that you've had a taste of the miraculous and think that that's proof that you're saved. No, Jesus says, if your life is characterized by lawlessness, immoral behavior, and not in submission to Jesus as the Lord, then you're in trouble. There's a third characteristic. Those who are deceived, who think they're believers when they're actually not, they do not have a legitimate personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. They don't have one. Jesus says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. What does Jesus mean by that? Does he mean that he never knew about them? Does he mean that he never knew that that person existed? Will, be, will he be surprised on Judgment Day when somebody comes out? Who are you? No. Jesus is God, knows everyone. He didn't know this person intimately. There wasn't a personal connection. There wasn't a personal relationship. This person wasn't rightfully related to God through faith in Jesus. Listen, Christianity is a relationship. It's not another religion that you get to choose from. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. Not so that you could join a religion. It's so that you could be forgiven of your sins, place your faith in him, and enter into a relationship with God where Jesus knows you and you know Jesus and it's real I think that a lot of times uh, some people think they're genuinely saved when all they have is intellectual head knowledge and this would apply to a lot of people Unfortunately, I think who have grown up in the church, they've grown up in Christian families. They know about God. They know about Jesus. They know all kinds of things about the Bible. They know the gospel. They've heard it all of their life. But intellectual knowledge is not salvation. It's not. 
James, in James chapter 2, said, You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Demons know about God. Are they saved? It's not intellectual. It has to move from what you know to what you have. What you've received. Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the difference between saying that an airplane can fly... And getting on the airplane to fly. Or believing that a chair can hold you up and then sitting down on the chair to allow the chair to hold you up. You have to receive. Depend. Place your faith in. That's a true relationship. It's radical. It changes you. So those three characteristics, talk, 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 practicing lawlessness, not having a true, genuine, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And a person who is like that on judgment day will hear those awful words, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Can't think of anything worse. Engraved in a cathedral in Germany are these words. Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and choose me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me might and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Blame me not. What are the characteristics of a true believer? A genuine believer. Well, you look how Jesus puts it here in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? He who does the will of my Father in heaven. True Christians are doers. They're walkers, not talkers. They have a lifestyle that matches their faith, what they proclaim. A true believer lives in submission to Jesus as Lord. The Lord calls the shots. Life is about obeying him. True believers... Do not practice lawlessness. They don't. True believers practice righteousness. Their lifestyle is uh, consistently more righteous than wicked. Now again, that's not to say that Christians are perfect. We're not. Not even close. And we still struggle even as born again Christians. 
But the relationship between you and sin should radically change. Comparing the way it was in your life before you came to Christ and after you came to Christ. You should hate sin. You should struggle with it. You should be mournful over it. You should seek to want to bless the Lord and live according to his plan. And when you blow it, you come back to him. There should be a sensitivity in your heart. There should be this this wonderful motivation in your life that says, man, I want to serve Jesus today. I I want to live for him. And really, the big difference between a true believer and a a fake believer is that the true believer uh, lives in a way that's much different than the world. Jesus said, as, as, as his people were to be salt and light, light shining in a dark world. Are you different? Do people know? Do you represent Jesus? A story is told of some businessmen who were rushing to meet their plane and accidentally bumped into a table of stacked oranges. The oranges went everywhere. One of the businessmen knowing it would mean missing his plane trip home, obeyed his conscience, returned to help a young boy restack the oranges he had a part in spilling. And it was reported that the boy asked him, Sir, are you Jesus? People should look at your life and see Jesus in the way you love people. In the way you live. And of course, all of that blossoms out of a genuine personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The true believer has had a moment, a moment of surrender where they've recognized the gospel. And not only has it become this intellectual thing, but they've, they've, They've gotten on their face before the Lord and they've received Jesus as their personal Savior for themselves. And there was a change. And it was real. And the Bible says, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is real. You become born again. Your sins are forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When you give your life to Jesus Christ for real, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. Romans 5 says, Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, You are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. James, the book of James, talks about dead faith and living faith. You know what the difference is between dead faith and living faith? Good works. If your faith is alive, you'll do good works. If your faith is dead, you won't. Those are the characteristics. 
Life changes when you truly place your faith in Jesus Christ. And God will do wonderful things through your life. Miracles, awesome things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you won't run around wanting glory for all that. You'll be pointing everyone to God, giving glory to the Lord for what he's done in and through you. That's the difference. And if you're like that, after this life, you'll be welcomed into heaven. Jesus will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This is a serious passage, is it not? And it's a passage that we each need to consider for ourselves. This is not a passage that you should see as a guideline for how you evaluate everyone else. This is a passage that requires self-analysis. You better look at your own heart. And how does it match up here? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That's a good question. Is Jesus in you? Is he? Do you have a relationship with them? Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you work to get saved. It means that you're thinking through it. Is it real? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Is it sure? So really, only you can look into your heart and say, Is this real or not? Have I met Christ? Has my life changed? And is there evidence of that? It's been said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence? Don't be self-deceived. Think through this. Get these matters right before judgment day comes. The expression, face the music, is said to have originated in Japan. According to the story, one man in the Imperial Orchestra couldn't play a single note. But being a person of great influence and wealth, 
He had demanded that he had been given a place in the group because he wanted to perform before the emperor. The conductor agreed to let him sit in the second row of the orchestra, even though he couldn't read music. He was given a flute, and when the concert would begin, he'd raise his instrument, pucker his lips, move his fingers. He would go through all the motions of playing, but he never made a single sound. The deception continued for two years. Then a new conductor took over. He told the orchestra that he wanted to audition each player personally. One by one, they performed in his presence. Then came the flutist's turn. He was frantic with worry. He pretended to be sick. The doctor who was ordered to examine him declared that he was perfectly well. The conductor insisted that the man appear and demonstrate his skill Shamefacedly, he had to confess that he was an absolute fake. He was unable to face the music. In the realm of Christian service, many professing believers go through the motions, but they're pretenders. Someday they will be called upon to stand before the judge of heaven and earth, and their deception will be real. God will then separate the phonies from the real Christians. No one will be able to hide in the crowd. Each will be made to face the music. So face the music before that happens. Examine your life now. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want this to be a moment, very serious, holy moment. Draw a circle around yourself, and only you, you're in that circle. That's it. You're only thinking about you. Is your faith real? Just answer that honestly. Is it it real? Does it show up outside of words? Is Jesus your Lord? Do you know him? Have you encountered him? Has there been a change? Well, listen, if you have doubts, let's make it real right now. Real faith begins with a real personal decision. Maybe you've heard it all your life. Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again the third day. But he really did die for you. For you. And you really are a sinner who needs to have your sins forgiven desperately. Have you truly admitted that? Have you come to Christ? Have you put your faith 
in him? Have you received him? Are you dependent upon him? If not, then right there in that circle between you and God, I want you to cry out to him. I want you to ask him, Lord Jesus, save me, save me. Save me deep inside. Way more than just knowledge. Take my heart, make it brand new. Wash all my sins away. Make me yours now and forever. And fill me with your spirit. Give me that brand new heart. Change me from this day forward. Transform my life. Help me to live for you and know you better day by day. And then, Father, I would like to pray for all of us uh, this morning that we would consider how we're living, consider what we're displaying in the day-to-day, how desperately people need to see the real thing right now, the real deal. I pray that we'd be that. So empower us by your spirit. Restore us if we've strayed. Thank you for your grace and faithfulness that's new every morning. In Jesus' name, amen.